and welcome. So, as uh, was just announced, brackets are being handed out, and you can feel free to take one. See Justine, and she will get a bracket to you for the NCAA tournament, basketball tournament. You can fill that out. There's no charge, and you have nothing to lose but everything to gain in the form of a meal. No, not gains, bro. Uh, gain, everything to gain in the form of a meal. So, uh, we'd, uh, so if anybody like to participate, just make sure you fill that out. Get it to Justine tonight. Games start tomorrow. So you, you can feel free to do that while I'm speaking. Uh, I understand it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And I, and I totally understand. Also, uh, and as just some news uh, so that you, you're in the know, uh, Ren, Ren's dad passed away this morning. Uh, he was at home. Uh, they had uh, he'd undergone a, a procedure last week to put a metal stent into his liver, uh, and uh, which generally indicates his liver wasn't functioning properly. And so uh, he had uh, been home for a couple days, uh, and I went to see him yesterday, and, uh, and Annie was taking care of him. She was his full-time nurse. And uh, Ren was there, and so uh, this morning he got up early and uh, just peacefully, I guess the last minute that he was alive was very peaceful, and he just passed away. And so uh, we are looking to have a memorial service uh, for him uh, either uh, the 29th, which is a Friday, or the 30th, which is a Saturday. Uh, they're waiting to uh, find out when family are going to get here. Because uh, they have family in Puerto Rico mm -hmm. and other places, so uh, it looks like uh, uh, probably Saturday morning memorial service, calling hours from 10 to 11, and then uh, the service will be from 11 to 12. So I know that uh, Martha has uh, coordinated some food going over there, and if you'd like to participate and get some food to them. Are helping out in any way you can see Martha and uh, we'll take care of that uh, the only thing they ask is no seafood that's about it so that was all I said no allergies so it's all good alrighty so keep them in prayer uh, Ren Annie and the family and uh, they got some decisions they have to make coming up and some things they have to do so it's always a tough time, you know. So keep them in mind, keep them in prayer. All right, going to start time in prayer. Father, thanks for uh, this time to meet. We thank you for an opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We pray uh, that you lead, you guide, you inspire. We pray that we have ears to hear and that we would just take in what you have for us. I ask you, God, that we'd be open, ready, and willing what you want to say and, and what you really want to challenge in us, what you want to do. I pray that there may be some ideas tonight that would challenge some old ideas that we have that don't serve us very well, that, that God, we would uh, be able to receive something new, something exciting, something living tonight, something real, something that makes sense, something, God, that is foundational and life-changing. Just ask you, God, that you would move in our midst. We pray, God, your Holy Spirit to teach us tonight. And that, God, you would be glorified. Give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Job. Job 9.4. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, if any of our listeners would like to participate in our bracket challenge, and you have access to a computer, and you'd like to download an NCAA bracket, uh, you can go ahead and get one and fill it out, take a picture of it, and you can send it to me, and I'll make sure it gets to where it needs to go. Uh, depending on when you hear this, uh, as long as you don't know any scores or you don't have any prior knowledge to anything that's going on, uh, we'd love to receive a bracket from you, and we'll trust you with that part. And we'd uh, 
put you right into the pool and we'll see how we all do. I don't know how we're going to get you a meal, but we'll figure something out. I mean, you know, we'll do something. So also, uh, for those of you that are listening uh, to the podcast, just a quick reminder, if you'd like to participate in Bible study, we have an interactive feature. It's through the website www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, and that's all one word. You go there and toggle a button, and you can leave us a message. It gets sent right to me, and I'll endeavor to play that at our next meeting. You have a question, comment, just say hi. If you're listening to us in another country, we'd love to hear from you and where you listen to us from. So please contact us, and uh, we'd love to have you be a part of what we're doing. Job chapter 9 and verse 4. Someone would like to read that? No, no, no. I was in the way of progress, Don. I mean, clearly. I saw you over there. All right, all right, all right. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go again. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, again, we're still in Job. Uh, this is a, a good book of wisdom and poetry and understanding. You'll notice who's talking here. Uh, Don, you, you got it opened up today. Can somebody tell me who's speaking right now? Hmm? Job. Job. Yeah, there's two people we listen to in the, in the book of Job if we want to learn something and, and gain wisdom and understanding from it. You either listen to God who speaks or you listen to Job. There's a bunch of other people, a few other people that speak in Job, but I don't know if we really want to listen to them because they get rebuked at the end and they're wrong. And then the other person who's speaking in Job is the devil and Job's wife who tells him to curse God and die. So we're going to not listen to her, not listen to the devil, and not listen to his counselor friends because they were wrong. So that leaves us listening to God and Job. Right? So this is Job speaking, and he's, he's responding to his friends trying to, and I'm making air quotes, quote-unquote, comfort him. So they're comforting him, and he responds to them here, and he, and he speaks something that I think is really basic, and I think it's something that's really uh, simple to understand, and yet you begin to apply that, and you begin to look at this and say, well, okay, if I really believe this, what, what's that going to look like? What does this really mean for my life if I really believe what he says here? And then it becomes more complicated. Now, as a point of just reference here, it's not really more complicated. We only complicate things that we don't want to do, all right? And so we make it easier not to do it by complicating it. You've heard me say this before. I really believe that, and I've seen people do it quite a bit, especially when it comes to God. Most things we got are very simple. We, we complicate things we don't like to hear or we complicate things that we don't want to do. And so then we make it really complicated, and then we just don't understand, and then we don't know what to do, and then we don't do it. But that's all crap because it's simple to start with. We just don't want to do it. And, and you're always better off, and I'm going to say this, you're always better off just, and if I offend anyone by the word crap, grow up. I mean, come on, whatever. That, that was a side note. But you're always better off with God if you just tell him, I don't want to do it. You're always better off with God just to let him know that you're uncomfortable or to let him know that you know, or this is a hard saying or this is something that you're having trouble with. You're better off just being honest about it and talking to him about it. Getting a little conversation going and, and just letting him know. Because in the moment, in those, some of those moments where you're just honestly talking to God, revelation comes. I've seen that. I've heard that. I've received that myself. I'll say, God, I really, I don't know how to respond to this. I know what I should do, but I know that I don't want to do this. Revelation comes in. Something happens. My, my heart changes. Something goes on. I mean, think about Jesus in the garden, right? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He didn't complicate the cross. 
He didn't complicate what it means to go to the cross, to, to do what he needed to do. He just said honestly to the Father, if it be possible, let this pass from me. But nonetheless, not my will, yours be done. Right? That was honest. That was clear. That was honest. That was straight up. And it was a conversation that he had with the Father. We're better off like that. We're always better off than the mental gymnastics that we try to perform in order to feel better about disobedience. That's what we're trying to do. You should never feel better about disobedience. And if whatever you're doing ends up with you feeling better about disobedience, it's not a good thing. It's just not good. It's not the right thing. And so... And so here we have a situation here where Job is speaking. There's an alternate translation. Don, you did a fabulous job. Wait, yay. Magnificent job reading that. I'm going to read an alternate translation. You ready? It says this. Even the wise and the powerful, who hath withstood him and prospered? So in that translation, the guy who was translating the verses, he, he, he takes the, the powerful and the wise, and he doesn't attribute that to God, and he attributes it to people. And he says, think about people that are, pri- that are wise and powerful. It's like, who, who can withstand God and prosper? Another translation says, you know, those who oppose God, no one comes away unharmed. Yeah. So, so kind of the, the end of this verse is kind of interesting because it really said, it, that's the part that caught my eye. That's the part that really, that really grabbed a hold of me when I was reading this verse. I mean, we talk about God. I mean, he is wise. And, and there's two ways that that word wise is used in the Bible. There's, there's kind of that, that wise in the sense that you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of understanding and how to apply it. But then in the, the way it's used most of the time in the Bible is wise in the sense of heart-wise, being wise in heart. And that's a different kind of an understanding that is, is being applied to the word wise, to be wise in heart. And, and God is wise in heart. He really is. That, that he understands and that this understanding has to do with his empathy has to do with his sympathy, has to do with his caring and his love and, and how much he, he loves us. And so understanding him in that kind of wisdom is to understand him that he's a God with a wise heart. He's heart-wise. And so a lot of times people can have all kinds of knowledge but really not know how to apply that in a way that's going to be beneficial are going to be healing, are going to be somehow uh, helpful into our lives. And we, we've, most of us have, I think, probably known people like that, that they might be really smart or they might have a lot of knowledge and they may know, you know, kind of what the, the thing is or some trivial understanding of, of how things are supposed to work. You know, I, I've known people that, that know things like anatomy, you know, they're really smart in it. I worked with people on an ambulance. I, for those of you that know, I worked on an ambulance for years. And, I, you know, for all those years, I worked with, like, paramedics would come and go. EMTs would come and go. I was an EMT. But they would come and go. And, and over the years, there were paramedics that would come in, and they would be gung-ho, and they'd have all this knowledge, and they'd have all this understanding. And, and I mean, you know, they, they, every time something would come up, well, this is this, this, and this. You know, and tell me all about it. Not that I cared, but I'm stuck in the ambulance with them, so I'm going to listen to them. You know, and we're going to drive around, and we're going to sit where we're sitting, and we're going to go to the calls, and we're going to do what we're going to do. And But there were always these guys that would have, like, tons of head knowledge. But then we get on a scene, and, and it was like they, they turned into some kind of a weird zombie or something and wouldn't know what to do all of a sudden. Usually younger people or younger guys that were just out of school. And so there would be all this knowledge, all of this understanding or whatever it was, it was in their brain. But then, you know, we got the kid laying on the floor of the gymnasium with part of his leg pointing another one way and the other part of his leg pointing the other way and his knee kind of out of joint, popped out of joint. And that looks gross, all right? 
That's just disgusting looking. But it happens sometimes, especially with teenagers, especially playing basketball, and they're making a cut, and part of the leg goes one way, part of the leg goes the other way, and it just it, it looks grotesque, but because it separates at the joint, it's not really that grotesque in the sense of like one of your bones getting broken in half and part of it sticking out or something like that. So it's just a joint, and it moves, and the kneecap kind of moves to the side. It's, a, it's called patellar dislocation. All right? Right, A.T.? All right, it looks gross. All right? If you've ever seen one, it's just it's disgusting. Right? And I remember we went into the gym, and this kid's laying on the floor, and I'm with the paramedic, and he's looking at me. I'm like, he looked at me, he looked at the kid. He's like, well, this looks like a BLS call. I'm like, well, it is. All right? And so I splinted up the guy's leg. We splinted up the kid's leg. We, we packed it a little bit, put him on the, the stretcher, and we took him to the hospital. Took him up to upstate the, the pediatric. Yeah, basic life support. In other words, not a paramedic job. <laughs> but he looked completely disgusted like he was about to throw up. So I understood what happened there. All right? And so I, I did that part. He drove us to the hospital. We get into the emergency room. I'll tell you the rest of the story. It's kind of fun. We get into the emergency room, and, and uh, we get him onto the bed, and I'm filling in the nurse and giving her the report and stuff. And, uh, and a doctor just walked in, and he looked at the kid. He's like, which leg is it? And, you know, he's laughing because it's the one sticking up that's all gross. <laughs> he's like, which leg is it? And he's like, you know, he's pointing to it. He's like, okay. And, he, you know, and he took the time, and he unwrapped it. I'm still giving the report to the, the nurse. And all of a sudden, the doctor just grabbed the bottom of his leg, and he put his hand where it needs to go, and it snapped. And he put that thing right back into place. Kneecap on top, everything was good. But it was like a split second. He didn't warn him. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to reduce this right now. or what? You know, he didn't say anything. He's like, snap. Like, there it was. And it was just like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And, and, and immediately the kid, I mean, it was just done. And so everything was back in place and the kid was fine. It was that fast. But you see, that doctor knew what to do. And he knew how to set that kid at ease. And he knew what needed to happen. And it wasn't something that he needed to fiddle around on. It wasn't something he needed to... to, to you understand what I'm saying? He didn't just have... Like, it wasn't just something in his head. It was something he could take action on. It's something he could actually reach into that kid's life, and, and he could improve his life in a split second, just like that. Okay, of course, that technique now is now common and taught to every EMT, to be able to do that in the field. So at this point, I'd be able to do that on the gym floor. But at that point, I didn't know. You know? And apparently the guy I was with didn't know either. But the doctor knew. It was awesome. And see, that's the kind of knowledge I want. I could care less about understanding theories about stuff if they don't translate into any kind of action or anything that helps. And, and the thing with God is, is like, man, people will argue about anything when it comes to God. They will argue about the dumbest stuff. They were arguing about things that I've experienced. I, I mean, I have people arguing in my face about why things that I've experienced just aren't from God. Shut up. You know, healing's not for today. Yeah, well, people get healed today, so you're wrong. Or they'll tell me whatever they want to tell me, or miracles, or this, or that, or whatever. It's like, just shut up. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I am not going to waste my time and waste my breath trying to argue with you and win some kind of some argument with you. There's nothing to argue about. This is what happens. This is who God is, and this is what he's done. That's all there is to it. And God has, has his ways of dealing with our lives. God has his ways of speaking into our life. But what he speaks into us and the wisdom that he not only lives in, but the wisdom that he imparts to us is a wisdom of action, is a wisdom of love, is a wisdom of caring, is a wisdom of healing, is a wisdom that means something in our lives. And that's super important. I mean, I like trivia like the next guy just to play a game or something. But, man, I, I'll, I'll take a few nuggets of truth over books of trivia. 
in practicality. And that's the truth. So I, you look at what this says, and it says, you know, God is not only wise in heart, well, he's infinitely wise in heart. Meaning, what's your situation? He already knows about it. And he knows what to say and what to do. What, what's your circumstance? Been there, done that. He knows exactly what you need to hear. He knows exactly what needs to happen in your life. It's an infinite wisdom of the heart. And because he has an infinite wisdom of the heart, he can win every argument that you can bring his way. If you choose to argue with God, which I think is a dumb choice, don't get me wrong. I think it's a stupid choice. But if you choose to argue with God, if you choose to, he has the answer. But he has the answer not just in facts. He has the answer to your heart. Like, in other words, not the argument itself, but why you're arguing. Okay? He's got the answer to that, which is more important than the fact of the matter. And so looking at that and understanding that is to take hold of a God who cares about you and who loves you and who wants to speak into your life in ways that are going to bring healing and wholeness and bring comfort and are going to bring peace and they're going to bring wisdom to you. That's how he wants to speak to you if you have ears to hear. That's what he's looking to do in your life. And that's who he is. And so it starts, it says that God is infinitely wise if you choose that translation. And then the second thing it says he's also mighty in strength. And so God wins. Right? If you want to contend with him in wisdom, he wins. If you want to contend with him in strength, he wins. But he is able, able to execute all of his designs and he's able to carry out all of his purposes in you and in me. So not only is there a word of wisdom over us that, that speaks into our areas of need, he also can carry it out. So in other words, he's designed us, he's made us, and he has plans for our lives. And so for all of those plans and all of those designs and all of those things that, that revolve around us now and in the future, he is powerful enough to execute what needs to be done and to carry out the purposes that he has spoken over us. He can do it. So not only is he willing to do it, not only can he tell us how it's going to get done, He's also able to do it. And so he's full package. That he is able to do, able to accomplish. Now I'm going to tell you something that you may or may not believe, but I want you to hear it at least once tonight. We, we are weak and feeble compared to him. I just want to say that. Because I think sometimes we think of ourselves differently. Uh, and, and it's one thing that we need to be careful of when, careful is the wrong word, we need to be mindful of who we are, just as we need to be mindful of who God is. And you, if you want to talk to me about who I am in Jesus, well, that's something a little different than who I am in the flesh. Those are two different things, all right? And so if I really understand who I am in the flesh, I run to be who I am in Jesus. I don't, I don't want to depend on who I am in the flesh because I'm weak and feeble. And I, and, and I believe that. And I know that. And I've seen that in action in my life. I've seen my, my mental processes or my physical processes in action in my life. And without God and without the, the, you know, really moving in who God has for me to be, I, I've seen that. And it's not pretty and it's not good and it's not effective and it's not what God has. And those moments when you, you get into those moments where in your own strength you're just helpless. And if you've ever been in one of those moments, I mean, there is something uniquely humbling about being in those moments. That to me and what it encourages me toward is running more toward Jesus. Because he is never helpless. 
Ever. I am sometimes. He's never outclassed. I am. He's never, there's never anyone stronger than him. Plenty of people stronger than me. Never anyone smarter than him. People smarter than me. He's never overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed sometimes. And you really look at your life, who you are in the flesh, and we're weak and we're feeble, but he is wise and strong. And who we are in him is identified with him more than it is with us. I'm okay with that. So what does it mean to oppose God? I want you to think about that for a second. You know, I think the first thing I thought of when I thought of somebody opposing God is, you know, it's kind of standing in front of God, shaking your fist at him. Like, ah, no way. Uh, I don't think he's too intimidated by that, number one. I think it's silly. It's a silly picture, really. I should commission an artist to draw that sometimes, to a person just shaking their hand in front of God. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not a picture we need to see. I don't know. But the idea of that, and I'm going to give you, throw out some words, because, uh, again, Old Testament, Bible-type deal, words, you, you hear like certain phrases, certain words, well, they paint a picture. So I'm going to give you a bunch of words here, okay, to help round out the picture of what it means to oppose God. All right, here we go. You ready? Here's some words. To speak hard things toward God. To be obstinate, to contend with him, to harden oneself, to resist and withstand him. And here's one, and I want you to think about this. The firmness or the resolution one must adopt to oppose another. And the idea behind it is opposing his rule and or his word in our life. Is what it means to oppose God. So start with the first word, obstinate. What's another word for obstinate? Stubborn. Stubborn. And I know we, we kind of uh, we kind of dance around the word stubborn because some of us have stubborn streaks in us. The issue with that is, is that it's no good when it comes to God. I mean, if you want to say you're strong-willed, then say you're strong-willed. That's okay. I don't care. And I'm sure some of that trait can be used for something good. But when it comes to God, and it comes to our relationship with God, any kind of stubbornness, a strong will, being strong-willed toward Him, doesn't lead to anything good for us. And I'm sure there's areas that it can, but not that one. Not that one. And if it came right down to it, if I had to trade my stubbornness or being strong-willed, if I had to trade that in and ask God to take it from me, that I might be more obedient and more pliable in His hands, then I'd rather He do that. I'd rather take my chances without it in life than to allow that to come between me and what God has for my life. And if you find it's coming between what God has for you and your life, you may want to consider really asking God and begging it up that he just takes it from you. That he changes you somehow. Because I, I don't know how long we want to oppose him. I don't know how long we want to contend with him. I don't. And, you know, sitting and, and looking at a guy that I knew was dying yesterday made me really think about that. Because uh, I was sitting there looking at a guy I knew was dying. And I didn't have to be in the spirit to figure that one out either. He looked like he was dying. And I said those words to him that I just said to you.
about being stubborn and strong-willed. How long? How long are we going to do that? How long? So, I, I want to encourage you that that's not how life is going to be lived to its fullest. Not with God. And that's the only way life is lived to its fullest. So, don't let that come between you and, and what God has for you. Just don't. Don't let that come between you and Him. Don't let that come between you and His will or His purpose for your life. Think about some of those other words I said, speaking hard things toward God. What does that suggest to you? What does that say to you? Speaking hard things. Bitterness. Could be. Yeah. Bitterness really drives some hard things out of us, doesn't it? Toward others, including God. What else? You think of anything else? I mean, bitterness is what, what I hadn't hit my head. Anybody think of anything else? Saying hard things toward God? Unforgiveness? Yeah. Judgment? Hmm? Blame. Yeah, judgment, blame, for sure. You blame God for something, you say hard things toward Him. How could you do this? Why did you do that? And all these are wrapped up in the same things of unforgiveness, bitterness. But, I mean, you think about people who have hard things to say against God. What drives it? You know, and, and that's, that's something to, to consider, to, to, re, to harden oneself. Somebody look at Proverbs 29.1, to harden oneself. Proverbs 29.1, this is one of the first verses when I became a Christian in college. This was one of the first verses I memorized. Was on, remains, go ahead. Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Thanks. That's a sunshiny verse, isn't it, to memorize? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the first verses I memorized when I became a Christian. Yeah, I read it in a pamphlet. All right? And in the pamphlet, it talked about that. And it just talked about being stubborn and obstinate and wanting your own way and just insisting on your own way. Yeah. And, and so this verse was used in it, and, and it talks about not, you know, one time somebody comes along and says, hey, you know, you might want to think about changing. And it's like over and over and over and over again, time after time after time after time, given opportunities to change, given opportunities to make a different decision, given opportunities to do something differently, given opportunities to, to not be stubborn, right? And, and the verse describes it. It's not just once. It's time after time after time. And then all of a sudden it says, you cut off and that without remedy. It's like you die, right? Because that's really when you're cut off. That's it. Yeah. It's a phrase to my mind, like if you're, you're stiff-necked and just like in the physical, right? Resisting, resisting, resisting. Right. The next kind of phrase. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, like you're resisting against an unopposable force, right? Right. For example, people are in car accidents. You got a drunk person... In a car accident, you got a you got a, a sober person in a car accident. Who has less chance of getting hurt in a car accident? The drunk. drunk. Why? He's yeah, he's relaxed. Maybe sleeping. Who knows? Right. Right. Yeah, and that's a physical example of that. Right. So, this idea of being stiff-necked, this idea of being hardened, is something we do to ourselves. It's something we decide to do. Why? Because we want to protect ourselves. But that idea of protecting yourself, like a car accident, you're going to be in a car accident. The first thing you do, if you stiffen up right before you hit something, you got more of a chance of being hurt than if you're relaxed. Yes, do. And you can make a decision how you're going to live, even in a car accident. You know, uh, I was driving back one time. You guys know this story. 
that I was driving back from uh, picking up the new dirty steed, and I was driving the old dirty steed, uh-huh. and and I got t-boned, well, kind of almost hit head on at a at a traffic light, where I had a green arrow and the guy ran the light. He was all drunk and going like 50, 60 miles an hour, took off the front of my car. But I saw the guy coming, and there was nothing to do. I just saw him right before he hit me, and I just took my hands out the steering wheel, and I made a conscious decision just to relax in a split second. And it hit the car, the car spun. I mean, all this crazy stuff happened, everything. Ended up over on the other, you know, I don't know how many times I went around, knocked over a couple signs, ended up way over on the other side of the road, back where I started from, before where I started from. And, and I'm not negating angels, I'm not negating God's provision over this, I'm not negating any of that, but I, I got up out of that car, I, I think I had a, like a, I had cut my fingernail somehow, and that was it. So we think we're going to protect ourselves by stiffening up, but it doesn't protect us. And any level, it's not, I mean, it's not physical, it's not emotional, and it's not spiritual. It doesn't protect us. And so, so in our brain, if, if your brain's telling you that's going to protect you, it's wrong. It's just wrong. And, and to continue to believe that is just self-defeating. It just is. Hardening up emotionally is not going to help you. Hardening up physically is not going to help you. Hardening up spiritually is not going to help you. It's just not. That's going to require you to change your mind. And then all the other ideas about God, I mean, like resisting Him, you know, withstanding Him, that's just silly. You're resisting for what? He created the heavens and the earth. He's God of the universe. Resist Him for what? How long? A millisecond? And then you can reverse time and erase your millisecond? You know, I mean, really? Yes, silliness. That part is silliness. But then he says this, to, to the, the firmness or resolution one must adopt to oppose another. What does that mean? Anybody here ever participate in a sport where you had to come in physical contact with another person? Okay, it could be boxing, it could be wrestling, it could be jujitsu, it could be karate, it could be whatever. You know, there's a certain mindset for that, that, that you need when you're going to oppose somebody. And you, so you set yourself, and you get yourself ready, and then go at it. Well, what's the silliness with God? You might as well go limp, right? You're less chance of getting hurt if you go limp. Right? That's the truth, though. That the truth of the matter is you got a better chance of coming out of that okay is if you go limp than if you get yourself all set and you're going to fight him. Because it's just silliness. And what do I mean by going limp? It's submission. It's submission. Right. Because when it comes right down to it, our duty, our duty, duty as Christians is to yield and submit to him. And that is our peace. Our duty, I'm going to say that again, our duty as Christians is to yield and submit to him. That's our peace. And it's a good peace. Because when you find your place, I mean, really find your place. And in that place with, with him is that place of yielding, that place of submission. And so you know that's where you belong. You know that that's where there's peace. You know that's where there's joy. You know that that's the spot. I mean, there is peace in that. There's a peace to our hearts in that. We're not striving. We're not trying to make something happen. We're not... We're not beating something up in order to, to get our place. It's just, that's it. And so, you know, I, my duty is to yield and submit to him. That's my peace. Your duty is to yield and submit to him. That's your peace. I'm not in your way. I'm not, I'm not in your spot. You've got your spot. Take it. 
That's between you and him. You don't have to fight me off to yield and submit to him. You understand what I'm saying? We're not in a competition. It's just our response, my response, my response. That's my duty. So I'm taking my duty. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to find my place of peace. You can do it too, but whatever you decide is not going to affect me in my place of peace. Not in that sense. It's not. I'm going to take my duty. I'm going to do what I need to do, and I'm going to find my peace. You're going to do what you do. That may affect me in other ways, but not in this relationship. So the second part of this is no one comes away unharmed. And that word unharmed, think of these other words. No one comes away prosperous. No one comes away successful. Because prosperity is only found in obedience and in falling in line with his will. And there is no room in there to be proud or to be insolent. No room. Zero. And I mean, I'm not talking about we're growing and we're becoming and, and we're, we're just kind of living our lives and, and maturing. Yeah, we need to all do that. But the point I'm trying to make is that if you're looking for a prosperity, a spiritual prosperity, and I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about spiritual prosperity here. If you're looking for a spiritual prosperity then it's only going to be found in obedience and falling in line with his will. That's it. Your, your pride and your stubbornness, they are your enemies when it comes to falling in line with his will. The idea of success, think about like a, a successful, uh, back when people sailed ships and that's how people moved from continent to continent. You know, think about it, it's like, what's a successful trip? Well, you, you make it from point A to point B, right? That's successful. And back again. And, you know, or back again, too. Yeah. So, but, you know, but how do you, how are you successful on a sailing ship? Well, you're successful, well, you follow the winds, right? When you can, you follow the currents, right? You, you don't go against it. You know, if you're sailing against the wind the whole way, you're just really not going to get very far very fast. This is impossible. And I mean, you can tack and you can kind of move, you know, in a back and forth fashion to, to, to move. But really, you know, as you plan your trips, back when they used to plan trips when they were sailing and stuff, they would plan their trips with prevailing winds. They'd plan their trips with prevailing currents. They'd plan their trips around conditions that would make for their success. Well, what are, what's going to make for our success with God? It makes for our success with God in obedience and falling in line with His will. I mean, you can decide, and you can say, okay, well, I'm going to go out and plant my garden in January. You can. Mm -hmm. And you can beat the ground enough and make some holes and, and, and throw some seed in there, whatever you want to do. And you go out and water it every day, and that water will freeze right on top of it. But you know what? Your garden isn't going to be very successful for doing that. Well, you did what you wanted to do, right? Yeah, I wanted to plant in January, getting a head start. Well, what does nature tell you? No. 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 Well, well, God, I mean, I went out and I did my part. Why isn't he doing his part? Right? Yeah. Hmm. I want you to think about all the gardens you've planted in January. <laughs> I mean that. Not, not physically. I want you to think of all the spiritual gardens or all the emotional gardens or all the relational gardens that you've planted in January. Don't dwell on it, but just think about it for a second. Hmm. Didn't work out. Yeah. Didn't work out. I can't figure it out. Why didn't it work out? Because that's not how it works. You know how it works? It works that we fall in line with God's will. And we're obedient. That's how it works. That's what leads to prosperity spiritually. 
and success spiritually is that we're obedient and we fall in line with his will. And the rest is silliness. But we can talk ourselves into it though, right? Right. That's the problem. You can always talk yourself into any manner of silliness. We're really good at it. Yeah, Dave. Right. I mean, you know, what, what is punishment for being stiff necked and stubborn is uh, bondage. Destruction. Right. Now, think about them in the wilderness. They were stiff necked in the wilderness. Isn't that pretty? They were stiff necked in the wilderness when they, when they okay, so God delivered them. So, so God's delivering them, but they're stiff necked in the wilderness. So, what happens to them? They take a two week trip and turn it into. 40 years. You take a two-week trip and turn it into 40 years. Might be how long it takes to grow a garden that you plant in January. Who knows? All right? I don't know. But the idea behind that is, yeah, it's not just a, it it is individuals because that's how we're making our decisions and that's what we're doing. But, again, whole nations. I mean, Israel's described as God chose to pour out his heart to them. Right? That's his choice. God loved them. And God loved them with an everlasting love. And, and to think about that. And yet they were stubborn. And they were stiff-necked. And they wanted to do what they wanted to do. And there's no prosperity. And there's no su- there's no There's no success, right? I mean, Moses, they made the golden calf while Moses was up with God, uh, and God was carving the commandments into the tables of stone with his finger. Yeah. Moses went up on the mountain, didn't eat or drink for 40 days. Come, came down, and that's what he saw. Yeah. So, so what is there in life? Now, is there plenty of life that can be lived that's not successful? Yeah. Is there plenty of life that can be lived um, that's not prosperous? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, spiritually, we find ourselves in those spots. Because there's this kind of weird land of no success or prosperity <laughs> that we find ourselves in. And I'm going to say this, and I want you to understand this as, as I mean this. I'm, I'm telling the truth. By God's grace, we find ourselves in that land. Because why it's His grace is because we have an opportunity to change. And instead of getting used to it and just accepting it and just saying, yeah, all right, I'm not very spiritually prosperous or I'm not very spiritually successful, but, you know... I'm alive. I'm, I'm, you know, moving. Instead of learning to, to ex- just accept that, to really take a look at things and say, hey, you know what? There's more to life than this. There's more to my relationship to God than this. More, than, more, more for me to experience, more for me to live in than this. Than, than this gray place that I'm in that is neither hot nor cold or is nothing. It's nothing. And so maybe I need to fall in line with what God has for me. Well, that was three years ago. Can I still do that? Yeah. Yeah. I can still fall in line. I can still obey. I can still put myself back in a position where I'm responsive to God and moving along what he has for me. I can do that. Get back to it. 
Then, then my, my word then, my word of encouragement is then get to it and get yourself out of the gray land. Get yourself out of that place that, that is not prosperous or particularly successful and find your way, believe your way, obey your way back to what God has for you and do it. Because why? Why live in that Neverland place? And I'm not talking about Michael Jackson. I'm talking about, you know, that place that isn't here or there. And it's really not what God has for us. It's really not. You know, Job was responding to guys that were explaining God to him. They're saying, well, this is what God's like. God, if you, your life is unsuccessful or something bad happens to you, that means there's sin in your life. That's what they're explaining to him. And Job was saying, no, that's not true. That's not true. Or they, they were explaining to him, though, God punishes sinners. That's, that's what they're explaining to him. And Job's like, no, that's not what's happening here. That's not what you see. And he went on to explain this is what God does. This is how God treats those that oppose him. This is how God shows grace and a, a heart of wisdom toward those who aren't falling in line with his will or his purpose for their lives. He doesn't entice us by being mean to us. He entices us with something better. Right? There's something better that he has for us if we choose it. That's the that's what he's showing us. And that's what Job's telling these guys. The shortest man in the Bible is trying to tell Job how it's done. And Job's like, no way, man. It is this is the way God is. And so you can believe this, you can believe this, you can believe this. Your duty, your duty, my duty is to yield and submit to him, and there's our peace. Prosperity is there spiritually. Prosperity is there. The whole idea that there is success there, it's all there. So what do we need to do? We need to defeat some pride. We need to defeat some stubbornness. We need to defeat some lies. And we need to come into line. You need to take your duty seriously. I got a duty. You've got a duty. And we need to take it seriously. And get a hold of that in our life. Because on the other side of that, there's spiritual prosperity and there's spiritual success for us. And, and again, these are spiritual things. I'm not telling you you're going to be a millionaire. I'm not telling you anything like that, all right? I'm telling you these are spiritual things. The apostles weren't millionaires. And they all died unnatural deaths except for one of them. So not successful in the eye, most people's eyes, and yet they changed the world. Spiritual prosperity, spiritual mm -hmm. success. That's what's on the other side. But you got to deal with you. i got to deal with me to get a hold of that. <coughs> Any questions or comments? Yeah, Layla. When you're talking about God being um, strong of heart, is that not in kind of what the picture that stuck with me was the guy, like the, the scene in the picture of the hospital, the kid's life broken or whatever, out of the way. Um, is that what people are talking about, like emotional intelligence? Like, do you see that as like a reflection of I think the phrase I used, I don't think it was strength of heart. Um, I, I think a wisdom of heart. Wisdom. Yeah. Is that similar to what people use that emotional intelligence? Uh, I don't think in a, a, a denotative way it is, but I think in the way people understand it, maybe. Um, I, I don't know that by textbook definition I would say that. Yeah. 
but I really do think that being able to speak to people on that level, being able to speak into a person on that level, being able to affect a person on that level, yeah, I think that's strength of heart. And I, and I think in most cases for us as people interacting with one another, that's far more important than any other kind of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Wisdom of heart. Yeah. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. I was going to say thanks for who you are. That uh, you're 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 really wise in heart, and you are mighty in strength. Thank you. Thank you for knowing us and loving us in ways that we can understand, and for revealing that love in ways that we can understand. Thanks for speaking to us right where we need to hear it. Thanks for speaking to us at places that need change in our life and giving us opportunity to change. I thank you that there's nothing you speak over us that cannot be accomplished by your Holy Spirit. That what you say, you do. That things that you uh, give us in vision, you can bring about. Purposes and plans that you place onto us, you can bring to pass through our lives. God, there's nothing that you reveal, there's nothing that you show, there's nothing that you speak that's beyond your ability to do. And so I just say thanks for who you are, God. And thanks for the hope, the, the, the ever-present hope and understanding and knowledge and, and all that that we have of who you are and the assurance we have that who you are says that what can be done. So, God, thanks. Thank you for being so strong and being so wise. God, I pray that you help us to deal with things in us that need to be dealt with. God, pride or stubbornness, obstinance, things that really uh, we, some of us would think are strengths, that we make in certain strengths, but, man, they're not when it comes to our relationship with you. And I pray, God, that you would convince us of that tonight, that there's a better way with you. There's a, there's a more effective way, and, and there's really a, a way that we can see more of you released into our life. It's not through our pride, and it's not through our stubbornness. Uh, and I'll just speak for myself. I'd rather live without either of those things than have that come in the way between me and you. So God, do what you need to do. But Lord, I, I want to be open and I want to be pliable. I want to be responsive to you, God, tonight, here in this place. Because God, I, I pray that we take up our duty, that I take up my duty to yield and submit to you. Because I thank you there's peace. There's peace in just being right where I'm supposed to be. There's peace being in, in the place, in the place of relationship where I'm supposed to be. And I thank you for that. I thank you for a childlike peace and a childlike joy to really find myself in submission to you and obedience to you in my life. So God, whatever other fancy things we got going on about what needs to happen or what we're supposed to do or whatever it is, I don't know. I pray we can take hold of a simple thing, a simple place of submission and a simple place of obedience. God, we want to live as prosperous sons and daughters of yours, successful sons and daughters. Not by the world's standards, but by your standards. And all that that means, a spiritual prosperity and a, a spiritual success. So God, I, I know that that means we just got to fall in line with you. So I pray we can do that. 
We can fall in line with you. Just take a moment and talk to him. You talk to him. Just right where you are. It doesn't have to be out loud, but just talk to him. Yeah. You might need to get back to somewhere that you shouldn't have left. You might need to kind of find your way back into his will and his purpose for you. Back into that place of obedience. Back into that spot of peace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, thanks for loving us. Thank you. Thanks for caring for us. Thanks for giving us a place with you. Thanks for your designs for our life purposes, your plans. Pray we can fall into line here and now. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.